Hello, I'm TJ and welcome to my garden. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about plant genetics. I'm using this to kind of set up the stage for the rest of the week where we're going to be talking about different uh, varieties of plants you can save seed from. And I sort of figured we needed a firm foundation in what we're trying to accomplish with seed saving, but also why we can't save certain kinds of seed like hybrid seed or uh, certain fruit trees, potatoes, things like that. In Friday's episode, I'm going to talk about some different projects you can engage in with uh, breeding plants and things like that. And part of that is actually going to talk about why you can kind of break the rules I'm going to set up now if you know what you're doing. Uh, and if you have the time to devote to years and years of breeding plants. But in this episode, we're just going to cover kind of some basics so you kind of know why people say don't save this, don't save that, so on and so forth. So what are the big categories of plants. Well, you obviously have wild plants, uh, all the diverse species you see in nature. They all reproduce on their own. They reproduce relatively true to type. Uh, they may have very diverse populations. So like humans, they may come in different sizes, shapes, and colors. Uh, apples are very diverse. If you go to, uh, I believe it's in, I want to say Kazakhstan, uh, where apples are native to, you can actually see a huge array of different apples, most of which are what we would call crab apples. Uh, and they are all the same, roughly the same species. There are a couple of species there that kind of hybridize freely with them as well. And they have a long history of hybridizing. And so in wild plants like that, we've domesticated them sort of. We haven't actually taken control of their genome quite as much as we have with, say, a tomato or a pic uh, pickle, a cucumber or asparagus. Um, with those, we've basically just gone in and cut a branch off of a tree that had a fruit we liked and cloned it essentially so we take uh, with fruit trees we take cuttings cut the branch off graft it to a rootstock and then we get another one so you probably had somebody tell you before that either you shouldn't waste time trying to grow an apple from seed or if you did you should just graft a good variety of apple on top of that so you get an apple you'd actually enjoy and there's a little truth to that. There are, again, on Friday I'll cover, there are some reasons why you might want to ignore that and grow an apple anyway. But generally speaking, the apples that we eat the most, the, the eating apples, are all varieties that we grow from graphs. We, uh, Red Delicious, Fuji, Granny Smith. You buy a graft, so you buy a, a, a scion, which is a little piece of wood that you graft to a rootstock and that scion produces the fruit that you enjoy it's a clone of that original granny smith apple and what happens is occasionally there'll be a mutation as the plant's growing and you might find one branch where the apples are a different color or a different shape or have a different flavor and they take a graft occasionally plant plant occasionally plant breeders if i could say the word will uh take a apple that they like and cross it with another then they'll grow out a ton of apple seeds and if any of them produce fruit they like they'll take a graft off that and that becomes a new variety but the core thing to take away from this is we do not have control over the apple genome to the same degree we do other domesticated plants and animals so the product of crossing any two given apples is likely to be a third variety of apple that is still an apple but it's not doesn't have the flavor profile we like. Uh, it might be too bitter, might be too sour, might be just generally unpleasant to eat. Uh, it might have a growth habit that is really inconvenient. Uh, the leaves may be a slightly different shape. There's such diversity in that genome that once you cross them, 
you, you can get almost anything within the range of being an apple. And most often what you get are sort of the wild type apple, which are these little uh, apples we commonly call crab apples. Uh, the crab apple is just a version of the apple that has been bred to be a crab apple. <laughs> it's not anything dramatically that different. They're the same species or closely related species, uh, depending upon what one specifically you're actually talking about. Now, there is a, a reason to grow crab apples, and that is they make excellent cider. So for most of history, people did actually grow apples from seed, but they weren't growing those apples to eat. They were growing them to press into cider, let that ferment, and enjoy it as cider. They weren't actually eating those apples. It wasn't until more recently, uh, especially after Prohibition, that we started focusing more on apples we ate. And that's when you start seeing a lot of these old varieties being bred again. That's when you see a lot of new varieties coming out, new scions you can pick up to grow new uh, types of apples that are way better to eat fresh. So that's also true of several other plants that we grow vegetatively. Uh, potatoes. You don't grow a potato from seed usually. Again, on Friday, I'll talk a little bit. Well, actually, tomorrow, I'll be talking a little bit about an exception to that rule because there, there are some uh, exceptions there. But generally speaking, when you want to grow a potato, you take a potato you like and you stick it in the ground and let it grow several new potato plants. And those will produce a bunch more potatoes. So when you plant a potato field, you're just planting potatoes that grow into plants that grow more potatoes. Kind of amazing that way. Uh, same thing is actually true of sweet potatoes and several other plants. So there are a lot of plants we grow from cuttings that we don't actually grow from seed because they aren't reliable from seed. So beyond that, you get into a category called land races, which I'll, I'm doing an episode on on, I believe Wednesday is the land race episode. And Land races are just a group of plants that we've been saving seed from for a while. They aren't a homogenous population. They aren't all exactly the same, right? So if you have a land race of, say, okra, you might have several different varieties of okra all growing together. And you're going to save seed from the ones you like. You're going to pull out the ones you don't like. So you're going to select a little bit from the population. But overall, you're just kind of letting all these plants mix. And basically based on what survives in your climate year to year, uh, what plants you don't pull out, you're eventually going to create a population that while quite genetically diverse, is good at growing where you're growing it and suits your tastes relatively well. The next step above that, which we did, we started actually doing surprisingly recently for a lot of varieties of plants, is intentionally breeding them. So uh, those plants eventually became what we call the heirloom varieties. Those are plants that have been bred to be pretty genetically consistent within their population. If you take an heirloom variety of, say, lettuce, like uh, Black Seeded Simpson, and you grow that and you keep it isolated from other plants so it doesn't cross with them, and you grow a bunch of them until they reach seed, when you save that seed and you grow it again, you're going to get Black Seeded Simpson. We've narrowed down the gene pool of that population such that they will always produce a reliable type that we like. Uh, and heirlooms are actually not that old. We really, there are some plants we've been breeding selectively for long stretches of time, but most of them really got developed when commercial agriculture really started to kick off in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So until then, with a lot of plants, we just went with land races. We didn't actually have intentionally bred types. And because of that window, we generally consider heirlooms to be plants developed before or during the kind of period between the 1920s and 1940s when the first hybrids started to appear. After that point, uh, we don't really consider them heirlooms anymore, although you will still see heirloom companies 
you will still see heirloom companies that kind of group them in the same and you'll find these seeds at a lot of the same places you'll find heirloom seeds so they tend to get categorized the same uh, but they all fall broadly within the category of open pollinated which also includes land races and everything else and then the next step above that and another category that we don't collect seed from uh, is going to be the hybrids uh, now you'll generally hear hybrids categorized as f1 f2 uh, don't let any of the nomenclature kind of scare you off it's not that complicated uh hybrids usually aren't hybrids between different species they can be you'd use the same terminology for both but usually uh, with most commercial hybrids what they are is we like for instance with corn we have two different varieties of corn we've bred that are very very inbred uh, one has one set of traits we want the other has another set of traits we want and we bred them such that when we cross those two strains we reliably produce a third uh, type of corn and that's the corn that we actually want to grow for food and so those varieties because they've been kind of hybridized from two inbred populations are not functionally as inbred as their parents are so we can focus traits we really like while getting the benefits of sort of a diverse genome all in the same thing and they call it a they generally refer to that as hybrid vigor hybrid vigor is a complex interplay of things but basically it means that all of your recessive traits are likely to be balanced out by dominant traits on the other side you don't tend to have a lot of the same traits at the same points genetically so you get a much more vigorous healthier plant the upside of that is health growth pattern you get what you want the downside is if you cross that f1 even with another f1 of the same type you're not going to get the same plant because when you actually like we like to think of our parentage as being 50 percent 50 percent right we get 50 percent from each parent which is true but then we tend to roll that back and think well we're a quarter whatever our grandmother was right that's not strictly speaking true because our dna recombines because every time uh, a new person happens they their dna kind of mixes and matches between the two chromosomes that eventually uh, match up for that pair you get a diverse mix when those split back apart for the next generation so you don't actually get exactly one quarter of each grandparent you get a little more on this side a little more on that side and as that plays out over generations going back um, you can see how whenever you cross that f1 you're gonna get a little more of one parent or a little more of the other parent uh, and maybe a little more one of their parents, a little more one of their, so on and so forth. So you don't get something reliable. You'll still get, you know, if you take an F1 tomato and save seed from it, you'll still get a tomato, but you won't get a sun gold tomato. You only get that by crossing those two strains that made the sun gold. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can kind of do something like that at the end of the week. Again, that's going to be part of that episode. Uh, basically, like I said, I'm setting up all the rules and at the end of the week. I'm going to tell you why we break them all the time uh, when we're dealing with plants so that's a good overview there are a few other processes which won't enter too much into our discussion this week but they're kind of fun to talk about so i'll talk about them real quick while i have a little time at the end of this episode uh, one thing is the idea of a double haploid so in genetics um you have humans have two complete sets of chromosomes right you have one set from your mother and one set from your father that is called a diploid organism diploid meaning two haploid means you have half of that you have one set right a haploid organism only has one set most uh animals and plants in nature are at least diploid a few like male bees for instance are 
haploid. They only have one set of chromosomes. In plants, though, you could have something called a double haploid. Now, functionally, a double haploid organism is a diploid organism. The reason why we break them out as something different is because they don't actually have two sets of DNA from their parents. They have one set of chromosomes, so a haploid genome, right? One set of chromosomes. And then by some chemical process, uh, sometimes it's naturally occurring. There are some chemicals we can introduce. Uh, there are also some cases where you can trigger this in plants by pollinating them with another species that can't actually fertilize that plant, but can trigger it to double up its DNA. Uh, but there are several different processes, but the upshot is that you've doubled the haploid genome. So even though they're technically a diploid, right? They have two sets of chromosomes, they're identical. One set is a copy of the other set. And the reason why they do this with plants at least is because you can create those inbred lines we need for hybridization. You can create inbred lines that can be used in other breeding procedures to breed new varieties really quickly because each plant is just two copies of one set of chromosomes from one parent plant instead of being crossed with some other organism. So you, you basically get a super inbred offspring of a single plant, which is useful, again, for various genetic reasons. Doesn't really enter into home breeding that much. Um, it's a process which can be used to create varieties which eventually end up being open pollinated. And so with those, you could save seed. But broadly speaking, it's mostly the sort of realm of uh, plant breeders and hybridizers and things like that. Uh, the other kind of weird thing with that is that you can use similar processes, especially chemical processes, to double up a genome to allow two species that normally wouldn't cross to cross and produce viable offspring. And there actually is a plant you can uh, breed as an open pollinated plant. It's called uh, triticale, and it is a grain that is both rye and wheat. They took a uh, they were able to hybridize them because they exposed them to a compound which caused them to double up their DNA, which means that even though it's a double haploid DNA for each, they have one complete set of wheat uh, DNA and one complete set of rye DNA in the same organism. Uh, now, these two sets are, of course, clones of each other, but they function together to produce a triticale plant. And those can be bred now because they have the necessary genes to cross. One of the reasons why mules and other uh, animals that are hybridized between two species uh, can't cross is because their genes don't necessarily completely match up properly. And this is a trait we actually exploit to make seedless varieties of food. So whenever you're eating a seedless watermelon, what they did was they have a uh, tetraploid, which means four copies, right? Four chromosomes at each point. They have a tetraploid plant and they have a diploid plant with two copies and when they cross those they end up with a triploid and because it has that spare set of dna just sort of hanging out there it can't produce viable seed and we've used this trick to create uh seedless cucumbers seedless watermelons uh, bananas are made in this way as are plantains they're actually the same thing it's just which parent was the uh haploid i'm sorry which plant was the diploid and which parent was the uh, hexaploid. And then we also have, or I'm sorry, tetraploid. <laughs> sorry, you know, the, these words obviously don't exactly roll off my tongue. I don't think they roll off anybody's tongue that conveniently. Um, but we use, but those bananas and plantains are basically just sort of the opposites of each other with the species that are used, but it's the same 
situation where it's a diploid on one side and a tetraploid on the other. They just flip which is which. And so you get a plantain or a banana. Um, but we've done this with a lot. We also recently, um, they've done this with eggplants. I don't know what the point is. Um, I don't know why you would specifically want a seedless eggplant, but they exist now. Um, they aren't commercially available yet. And I believe this has also been done for uh, avocados, but the seedless avocado never really took off because it doesn't have a whole lot of flavor, apparently. So that's probably enough of that. <laughs> um, that is a just bare minimum break in into seed saving. So the, the big takeaway here is you can really only reliably and easily save seed from open pollinated plants. If you don't mind the population being diverse, you can raise land races, which we're going to talk more about. Uh, if you want a population that's pretty consistent, then you're going to want to raise more modern or heirloom varieties of seed that are that are open pollinated but reliably produce the same offspring uh if you want the stories and sort of the history of that you're gonna want to focus on heirlooms they're kind of fun too i, I enjoy growing heirlooms and finally you don't want to save seed from hybrids and you don't want to save seed from any fruit or vegetable that we have basically just taken out of the wild and we create mostly through cloning because you're not going to have a fixed genome in those things that's going to produce reliable offspring now, those rules being said, we're going to talk about the different varieties of open pollinated plant you can do this week. And at the end of the week, I'm going to tell you why you might want to break all these rules and play around with other stuff anyway. So by all means, stay tuned. Uh, you can follow everything we're doing over at tjsgarden.com. You can shoot me a message there if you just go to the contact me form. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, it's podcast.tjsgarden.com. And if you're subscribed to me in iTunes or some other service where you can, please go in there and do a little review, rating, uh, that helps people find the show also, and this really helps people find the show. If you find this useful and you know anybody else who does school or community gardening, uh, share the show with them. It's podcast.tjsgarden.com. Uh, they hopefully will be happy you did, and I will be happy to have additional listeners. So it works out for everybody. Uh, so have a great day and go out and enjoy your garden.